0: Thank you, Mike. You ever stop to think that in terms of God's love, that perhaps one of his greatest acts of love was for Christ to come, to live among us, and to die? And when you think about Christ, we sang hymn 57, Jesus' name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us. Blessed Redeemer, living word. And as we interact with a portion of Mark's gospel this morning, we're again reflecting on Christ. Who he is as he came among us. A couple thought questions. I'm not looking for responses. But nevertheless, I want you to think about them. The first one. Are rules needed to control behavior? Think about that. Are rules needed to control behavior? In the world in which we live, do we need rules to control behavior? The second one related to it, can rules control behavior? Can rules control behavior? Could you live in a rule-free environment? Could you live in a rule-free environment. Now before you answer any of those questions too strongly and too dogmatically, I would encourage you to think long and hard. Jesus came to this earth into a world, a religious world, that was very rule-oriented where there was one thing after another. And when Mark Or in Mark chapter 2, 23 through 28, we find that Jesus, again, is being confronted by religious leaders. And as we interact with this portion of Scripture this week, and then chapter 3, 1 through 6, next week, and then the following week, we're going to look at some very clear applications as it relates to the religious world in which we live, the religious world in which Jesus lived, as it relates to rules as it relates to freedom, as it relates to trying to control people and try to understand what Christ is offering in Mark 2, 23 through chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's read together. And as we read verses 23 through 28, in verse 24, we find that the Pharisees respond. At the end of verse 24, I would like for you men when it comes to what the Pharisees said to Jesus, I would like for you men to collectively read that together. Jeff will be reading what Jesus says. Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, "Look, well, are they doing what unlawful?" He answered. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. As we interact with this passage, the Sabbath is being mentioned. And it's important, if we're going to grasp the passage and what Jesus is communicating, to go back to the Sabbath being instituted. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, we find that Jesus and God have created the heavens and the earth in six days. And in chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 2, Scripture says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So in the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work of creating that he had done. The idea of rested means to cease from doing work. On the seventh day, God ceased from doing work of creation. He blessed it. Blessed means to endue with power for success, prosperity, and longevity. So, when God blessed the seventh day, blessed the Sabbath, it has something to do with success, prosperity, and longevity as it relates to God and as it relates to Adam and to Eve. It is holy, clearly stated in the text. That is, it's set apart from the other six days. It's different than the other six because there's no work, there's rest, it's blessed. Note the following, that the Sabbath is rooted in creation. The Sabbath did not begin with the Mosaic Law. It's rooted in creation. It's a weekly cycle. Six work, one rest. Six work, one rest. That was how God instituted, how Christ instituted the Sabbath. Now let's go over to Exodus chapter 20 and we will find years later that the Sabbath is part of the Mosaic law. Exodus chapter 20. Now begin reading with verse 8. Exodus 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no Shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your maidservant or manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You will find that is repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Now, please understand that when we get to Exodus, the Mosaic law being given, that the Sabbath was already in place, was already to be practiced, but it becomes part of the Mosaic law. It is holy again, as mentioned in Exodus, as well as Deuteronomy. It's set apart from the other six days, and that one was not to work. The text clearly states here that it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For Israel, the Sabbath was to the Lord their God. The Sabbath involved children, servants, animals, and aliens. They were all to rest. It is rooted in creation, as stated in Genesis. It's not a new cycle. It's been in place for many years. It is also tied in with Egyptian slavery. As you look in Deuteronomy... Did the Jews work seven days a week when they were in slavery? There's good reason to think so. Here he says, the Mosaic law is part of the Sabbath. Work six, rest seventh. And in Deuteronomy he mentions and ties it in with slavery. Now when we get to the Sabbath as it relates to Judaism, (coughs) went the wrong way, two observances. Above all, defying the Jews and set them apart from the nations. The first one was circumcision, physical circumcision. The second was the Sabbath. It set Israel apart from the other nations of the world. The length of the Sabbath was from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. Our Friday to sunset Saturday. It was rooted, again, in the order of creation and attested to the divine order of the whole universe. And I emphasize rooted in creation because Christ is speaking in Mark 2 and he was at creation. Because he is creator. The Sabbath is a sign between the Lord and Israel. So that Israel would know the Lord made them holy. Ezekiel 20, 1 through 12, particularly verse 12. There was freedom within the Sabbath. That is, the Lord did not give specific details on what to do and what not to do in every way, shape, and form. Desecration of the Sabbath was very, very serious. Desecration of the Sabbath was very serious. Exodus 31 Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Whoever does any work on that day must be cut off from his people. For in six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. We're dealing with a very holy day, very sacred And if it was violated, there was to be death. Now, when we get to Mark chapter two, we need to understand what happens to the Sabbath in Jesus' day. Rules were added to the law that was given in Exodus twenty and Deuteronomy five. That is, there is a series of do's and don'ts that were added to the Sabbath. And it became a burden. The focus was on the rules, not rest. Some examples of rules that were added. No carrying of children on the Sabbath. Tanya and Rick can't carry your child on the Sabbath, even though he's not very old. No giving help to birthing animals. No retrieving an animal falling into a pit. There was a list of 39 classes of work that would profane the Sabbath. Now, these are all added to the Mosaic Law. We might expect that there should be no plowing, hunting, butchering, but there's some that we wouldn't expect. There's no tying or loosening a knot, there's no sewing more than one stitch. You couldn't write more than one letter of the alphabet. They had some novel rules. You were forbidden to set a dislocated foot or hand. You could not repair a fallen roof, though it could temporarily be propped up. The rabbis endeavored to offer a rule or at least a pattern for every conceivable Sabbath question. Example if a building fell down on the Sabbath, enough rubble could be removed to discover if any victims were dead or alive. If alive, they could be rescued. But if dead, the corpse must remain till sunset. Now it should be very obvious that the Pharisees have added and distorted God's purpose in the Sabbath. They have added rule after rule, shifting the focus from rest and focus from the Lord to rules. Thus, One must continually think about, what's Sabbath, can I do this, can I do that, can I do the next thing? And the focus shifted from rest and the Lord to whether you could do or not do. Now let's say we were living by the Mosaic Law today. We might add in Ephesians 4 and verse 28, the writer of Scripture tells us to speak building words not cutting words. And that's a general truth that is being given. So we as a church are going to be like the Pharisees. We're going to add to that. So we say, it is wrong for you on the Sabbath to say, shut up. That's wrong. We're spelling out a specific. It is also wrong for you to say, be quiet. And since you're to speak building words, you must, as a pattern of life, if you're a husband, say to your wife at least eight times during the week that you love her. And if you don't do it, you're not a good husband. Children, you must tell your parents at least five times a week that you want to respect them and honor them. And if you don't, you're not a good kid. See, that's adding to Scripture. That's what the Pharisees were doing. You could take Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where Paul tells believers to love as Christ loved. So we add to that and say every month, all of you must do eight kind deeds to your neighbor if you don't you're not a good neighbor. Now that's adding to. That is what is happening in the context when we get to the controversy in Mark chapter 2. See the Pharisees were determined to hold up the Sabbath according to not only the Mosaic law but according to all the rules that they have had it or that they had added. And it appears that Jesus and his disciples are violating the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. What do the Pharisees say? Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, there's two things come into play here, but only one is mentioned. Jesus and his disciples were probably, according to the Pharisees, also breaking the law because they were actually traveling on the Sabbath. You could only travel 800 meters on the Sabbath. That's as far as you could go. And in light of the text, it seems like Jesus would have gone beyond that. But the Pharisees are also with them, so they must be breaking the Sabbath too. But that's not even mentioned by the Pharisees. What the Pharisees bring up is that the disciples are harvesting grain. They're reaping. Why? Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? They're picking heads of grain. Now the Mosaic law does say in Deuteronomy 23, 25, that one is permitted to go through someone else's grain field and take some heads of grain, you know, get rid of the husk and eat it. That's permissible. But apparently the Pharisees interpreted that as not being permissible on the Sabbath because now you're harvesting grain. No adding to. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does not point out that they're adding many additional rules contrary to what God designed in creation. There's no confrontation to point out that they're wrong. Jesus instead does three things. He identifies himself with David. Have you never read what David did when his companions were hungry and in need? He reaffirms the purpose of the Sabbath, the value of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he states that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is over the Sabbath. So those three items are what Jesus is communicating Now the first one in verse 25, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now when Jesus mentions David, we must also understand that David was Israel's greatest king. David was a forerunner of the Messiah, 2 Samuel 7, 5 through 16. From David, a righteous branch, a king who would reign wisely and do what is right, was going to come, Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. David enshrined a future messianic reign by someone who would reign even more glorious than himself. So, when Jesus brings up David, the Pharisees would be identifying with what I just said. And Jesus mentions what David did when his companions were hungry. We won't take time to read it this morning, but in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, we find the account that David had just been told by Jonathan that Saul's after your head, flee. So David is fleeing, and he comes to Abiathar, the priest at Nob, and he says, give me something to eat. And the priest says, I don't have anything. The only thing I have is the holy bread. Now it's interesting that David really lied, because he told the priest that he was on a mission For King Saul, he was fleeing King Saul. It's also interesting that he makes a request for the bread, because according to Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, bread was to be made, it was to be put in two rows, and it was to be sacred to the Lord, eaten only by priests. And David said to the priest, give me the bread. God did not confront David for that violation of the Sabbath. Christ does not confront David for that violation of the Sabbath. But what is happening here in Mark 2, 25 is that Jesus goes back to David and says, just as David chose to eat bread that was to be set apart to the priest and was not confronted, I'm doing the same thing because I'm identifying myself with David. David chose to do that. David could do that. He was king. I'm identifying with myself with David. I am a righteous branch who came from David, I'm the one who is going to set up a messianic kingdom. So, if my disciples want to eat grain on the Sabbath, that's okay. He's appealing to what the Pharisees would have understood. Then he says something else. Verse 27, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2, we find that man was created first, before the Sabbath was instituted. The purpose of the Sabbath was for Adam and Eve's well-being, so that they could be like God, resting one out of seven. It was for their benefit, it was for their good. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I repeat, the Sabbath was made to fit man, not man for the Sabbath. And we'll share two illustrations to illustrate that. You ladies first, and I'll get to you men second. Ladies, you're going to be in a wedding. You desire a beautiful dress. You can take one of two approaches. The first one is, well, I think I weigh just a little bit too much, I need to lose a little weight to get in this dress that I think would really look nice. So for weeks, you watch what you eat. You step on the scales. Oh, didn't lose enough. I'll never make it. And you try and you try. And finally, you think you made it. The dress is being zipped up. You go, oh, oh, And you make it. And in the process, you miss out on the joy of the wedding. The other is to say, I am who I am. I will buy a dress that fits the way I am now. And I'm going to enjoy the preparation. I'm going to enjoy the wedding. The Pharisees were trying to lose the weight. They were saying, look, you've got all these rules. You've got to keep all these rules. And Jesus says, no, no. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Humans aren't to bend to the Sabbath. For you guys, you're to provide financially for your family's basic needs. You can take two approaches. You can listen to what the world says that you must provide all kinds of toys for your family. Choice food, stylish clothing, a nice home, a car, education, leisure, and on and on. So you get a job that you dislike that pays big money or you can be content with providing for your family the basic needs of food shelter and clothing building relationships with them finding a job that is according to your abilities that fits into ministry to your family and enjoy your family growing up. See the Pharisees were saying the stylish clothes, the nice home, and you end up missing out. Jesus says these Pharisees, don't you understand? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Stop burdening people with all these rules. Don't tie a knot. Don't loosen a knot. Don't burden people with all those things. Because the Sabbath was made for the good of mankind. And then Jesus also says, verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now think about how that hit the Pharisees. Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath because I'm creator. I was there when the Sabbath was instituted. I instituted the Sabbath at creation. So if my disciples are going to walk through the grain field and they're going to get some grain and they're going to rub it in their hands and eat it, that's permissible because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees in a very, very strong way. He's saying, I'm identified with David. In fact, he doesn't use these words, but as we look at the Old Testament, I'm the righteous branch that comes from David. He's also saying the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I instituted the Sabbath. What's the point of this passage Jesus continues to demonstrate that he is, he is who John the Baptist claimed he was. He's the righteous branch from David. He's Lord of the Sabbath, who instituted the Sabbath. This passage is not about the Sabbath, but Jesus being revealed as the righteous branch from David and the Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees saw Jesus as another man, and Jesus is saying, no, I'm not another guy. I'm identified with David. I'm a righteous branch. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Consider a couple applications as we wrap it up. What are the implications for the followers of Jesus? Peter and James, Simon and Andrew, and others who may be following him at this time. What is the implication? They're experiencing Jesus as he confronts the Pharisees, as he communicates to the Pharisees that he can be identified with David because he's the righteous branch, the messianic king that is going to come from David. They see him communicate that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark builds in that Jesus is revealed over and over and over again as to who he is. Not only does he teach with authority, not only can he cast out demons, not only can he heal diseases, not only is he the new patch and the new wine as we discussed last week, he is also identified with David. He's Lord of the Sabbath. The Roman believers, Mark was probably written to believers in Rome. As they undergo persecution, they were encouraged to endure because they were followers of Jesus, David's righteous branch, and the Lord of the Sabbath. Here they are. Some of them are being used to light Nero's garden. Some were cast to the lions. Should we go on following Christ? And Mark says, yes, yes, because Jesus is identified with David. He's the righteous branch. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Hang in. Be willing to die for Christ. The identity of Jesus is so vital as we follow him. When we see him not only as a bridegroom, the new patch, the new wine, but also as David's righteous branch, Lord of the Sabbath, we desire to follow him not man-made rules. The religions of the world and the isms of the world that come along offer so little. There's all kinds of religions in our world today, all kinds of people that come across wanting to offer something. If you go to a <coughs> University, secular university, even some Christian universities or colleges, you will find that one of their missions is to make sure you don't believe in God when they leave, or when you leave, stated publicly by them. And they will offer a host of things, and I'm not saying every professor does that, but that's the world. And you'll be tempted not to follow Christ, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's David's righteous branch. Some of you will sit in a biology class in our local high schools, and you will be told that the earth evolved. There's not a creator. Encouraging you to deny Christ, and I'm encouraging you to come back to the fact that Jesus is who he said. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is from David's righteous branch. He's the new wine. He's the bridegroom. we grasp the identity of Jesus makes a difference in how we live day by day so glory in Jesus Christ enjoy him bathe in the beauty of your relationship with him your acceptance in Christ the fact that you have a relationship with God a relationship with Christ a relationship with the body of Christ it's not a host of rules and again we'll Mention more about that next week and the following week. We follow Christ. He's the righteous branch. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the new wine. He's the new patch. He's the bridegroom. And we could list other items that were in chapter 1 and earlier in chapter 2. It's not an issue of rules, as the Pharisees claimed. Rather, It's a relationship with Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. We may strive to maintain a good testimony for the Lord. We may think we have to keep a host of rules and do's and don'ts. Come back time and time again to Jesus Christ. Are rules needed to control behavior? Maybe. Maybe not. Depends on Christ. Can rules control behavior? They can attempt to, but they can't change the heart. Could you live in a rule free environment? I would venture to say, no. Now explain as we look at chapter 3, 1 through 6, and some implications to both of these passages. You say, Pastor, you're being contradictory because you just said the Pharisees are rules in the relationship with Jesus Christ. I know I said that. I'm not being contradictory. Because when I refer to a rule at this moment, it's not something added to Scripture. It would be living in light of God's design. The Pharisees saw rules as you added to. They missed a relationship. Focus on the relationship and some other things will fall into place. And again, we'll address that. The next couple of weeks. Glory in Christ. It changes the perspective so much. No one has to tell me that I need to tell Ruth Ann eight times a week that I love her. Because I could do that and it could be empty if I'm not relating to Christ. The Spirit of God will work in me and I can say, honey, I love you. I'll share this and I'll zip the lip. Last night I said something to Ruth Ann. (laughs) And uh, I'll leave it at that. But her response to me was, is that all the passion you have? (laughs) No, we can say to her wives, I love you. I love you. Or you know, we can respond in another way. I won't try to demonstrate at this point in time. (laughs) See, relationship, the rule as the Pharisees saw it, their worlds apart. And Jesus is saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm David's righteous branch. Look to me. And in light of that, close our service, a few announcements. And I want you to keep in mind the announcements are not a series of rules or things that must be done to be rightly related to God. Their response to God's grace. Tonight, as we have our evening service discussing Daniel and prophecy and so on, I encourage you to attend. A couple of questions you can think about. Can a nation be the same after a prophet has spoken? Does a prophet speak to people, pray for people, or both? I encourage you to attend. Wednesday night, <clears throat> discussion: where did the races come from? And then we'll divide into some groups for prayer and sharing. Children, teens, dots, encouraged to attend. Next Sunday night, church meeting is an insert in the bulletin following our evening service. Vacation Bible School, July 18 through 22, opportunity for outreach. And I want to emphasize two things in relation to Bible school. First one is prayer, prayer is vital. Prayer warriors already received some prayer items. We'll take some time. <clears throat> Not this coming Wednesday the following Wednesday to devote to prayer as long, along with the next two Sunday mornings. Secondly, invite people. Whether you're a kid, a teen or an adult, invite others personally. That's different than a mailing that we will do. We'll do a mailing, but invite people personally. And there's a sign-up sheet in the vestibule. if you would uh, like to sign up to donate some food. Again, items to respond to God, to Christ, and his work in our lives. Not a bunch of, I have to, I have to, I have to. Let's pray together.